Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Deep Dive podcast. RJ, no time for crazy cold opens this week because we gotta start with the biggest news potentially in all of Kraken history. And no, I'm not talking about the fact that this podcast is presented by the Queen Anne Beer Hall. All the people already know that, aren't they? <laughs> they definitely do. It is that the Seattle Kraken are going to the Stanley Cup playoffs for the first time ever. ever. Uh, I was going to say, you know, I was going to say, hey, everybody, you're Seattle Kraken. But really, after that postgame live that we did, RJ, it's our Seattle Kraken, uh, because you could just feel how much this meant to the community. The fact that the Seattle Kraken are going to the playoffs. That's right. I mean, that post-game live was, I, I got to call it, the best one of all time. Just being able to celebrate and experience that with everybody, uh, with all the fans, with the guest cameos. I mean, it really was a party-type atmosphere at Climate Pledge Arena. You know, if you were with us live for that or if you watch it back, uh, you know, it's unmistakable, the, the vibe in the building that night. Um, it's just so exciting. And yeah, the Kraken are going to the playoffs. I am ready for it. I am super ready for it, and I just want to reiterate a couple things that we talked about on that post-game live. Uh, the first one being, everybody take a deep breath, uh, because the position is clinched now. No more need to worry about Nashville and Calgary, what they're doing. No need to worry about what's going on in the division. That that bit of it, the bit that the Kraken can control is over. It's done. We can all breathe easy, easy now. Uh, you can try to enjoy these last couple regular season games. Uh, that I think that's an important aspect of all of this. And by the way, I, I'll just throw this out there too. We are recording this on Saturday because RJ has to travel to Vegas tomorrow. I'll be traveling on Monday to Arizona for that Monday game. So we're recording this on Saturday before the Chicago game. So just throwing that out there. Uh, but just try to enjoy these these last couple of games. You know, you can watch to see what's going on in the Central, who the Kraken are going to match up with. But but I say, and we're going to talk about this later. Playoffs are stressful. Use this time to relax. Get ready for it. Uh, this is going to be the last little bit of hockey that you're going to be able to just watch and enjoy without having to completely fret over it and pull your hair out and all of that stuff. So I just want to remind everybody, enjoy the last week of Kraken hockey before the crazy comes. <laughs> yes, it's definitely the calm before the storm, and I think everyone should treat it as such. Uh, it's it's going to be a crazy ride of playoff hockey. And, and in this episode, we're, we're going to give you an idea of what you can expect with that. So you kind of hype yourself up. But right, that's a good point, Dylan. For this coming week, just relax and, and uh, yeah, kind of I know the players sometimes will like rest up and kind of manage some things ahead of time. I think we all need to manage our, uh, our blood pressure and all that stuff before we get to playoff time. Exactly. I think that's really important. And then I think the other thing that's important is also just, and, I've, and I felt like a lot of this the day after they clinched RJ, but just recognizing the Kraken are a playoff team now. Only two years into their existence and thinking about all the steps along the way, whether it was the team announcement that the NHL was coming to Seattle, whether it was the unveiling of the Kraken logo and the name of the team, the expansion draft, that first free agency and drafting of Matty Beniers, or the first training camp, preseason, first full season, all of the steps along the way that have gotten us here, just going back in my mind that next day and flipping through all of them and just appreciating what an incredible journey this has been, uh, not just for myself, but also with you, RJ, and then with the community at large. It's, I think that's the other big important thing that, uh, that we can all think about and enjoy on this last week before, again, the, the playoffs come. <laughs> 
<laughs> Agreed. I mean, it's been a long time coming, looking back, not just at the franchise and starting in those, these amazing two years that it's been, but through Seattle sports history all the way back to the 1910s yes. uh, as the as city of Seattle was waiting for more Stanley Cup playoff hockey for a long time. So you're right. I think we do need to appreciate that. It still gives me goosebumps, RJ. It's the fact that it's hockey. You're playing for the same trophy that the Metropolitans won over 100 years ago in Seattle. Like, that's incredible. It is so special. I See, I just got goosebumps again. It's just every single time I think about that, it just does it for me. I absolutely love it. So you mentioned it. We're going to talk all about playoff hockey. If you're new to hockey or if you're new to having your team in the playoffs in hockey in the NHL, we're going to have you covered later on in this podcast. Before that, we're going to talk about some, you know, seeding, potential rest, like how we would want the Kraken to kind of manage the situation for this final week. Uh, we'll look back at the last week in review. But first, RJ, we're going to start with some quick hit news and notes here. And the first one I want to talk about is Shane Wright, because Shane Wright's OHL season ended very quickly. Uh, once the playoffs started, Windsor Spitfire is getting swept uh, very I mean, it was a bad series. It was a really bad series. Not going to lie uh, for everybody out there. What what it did mean was Shane Wright, his season was over. There's still time to play hockey, whether it's with the Kraken or maybe with the Firebirds. What is the latest on what we know about what is going to be happening with Shane Wright? Right. So as you mentioned, Shane Wright's junior season is over. The number one seed, Windsor Spitfires, got swept in the first round by the eighth seed. That is quite rare. Um, but it does mean that that Shane Wright has some possibilities here for finishing out his season. Uh, the Kraken can, per our understanding, by the way, this comes with a disclaimer. Yes. This is all according to the NHL-CHL agreement, which is not published. We cannot take a look at it and read it. We don't know for sure what is in it. All we have to do, uh, all we can do is rely on people who have read it and their interpretation yes. of what they tell us. So uh, we've been working on that. But our understanding of the situation is that the Kraken have a couple options with Shane Wright. They can bring him back to the Seattle Kraken and he could play games for the Kraken at that point and join them for their playoff run. Of course, with that, what we do know is if he were to play two more games for the Kraken, his contract, his entry-level contract, would not slide ahead to next year. Now, that's a situation the Kraken would almost certainly want to avoid. You want to get that extra year on his rookie deal. That is so, so important in a salary cap world. You know, if they happen to go to the cup final or something and get a big injury, and then, you know, maybe all options are on the table. But until then, probably not thinking about it. But the other option, and this is the one that's most attractive and the one that it sounds like that's what's going to happen, is the Kraken can send Shane Wright down to the Coachella Valley Firebirds for their playoff run. So that's what I would expect to happen. Uh, John Shannon on Twitter uh, did say that expect Shane Wright to report to the Firebirds. I think that would be the best option for him. We saw the confidence that he gained from those games with the Firebirds earlier this season. And I think he could replicate that in helping them towards a, a playoff run. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, he looked he looked so good in the amount of time he spent with Coachella Valley. Uh, we've talked so many times, RJ, about the coaching staff that Coachella Valley has down there, how incredible they are. I think that would be really beneficial for Shane Wright. I think, you know, you go back to when um, 
when they were talking about sending him back down to junior as a Seattle Kraken, right? And you talk, uh, you remember Ron Francis talking about, you know, wanting to send him back, wanting to send him back into a situation where maybe he could go on a Memorial Cup run, kind of learn the lessons of a, of a deep playoff run and, and chasing a trophy like that back when we were still trying to figure out where he was going to get traded to from Kitchener, all that, uh, not Kitchener, from uh, Kingston, all that kind of stuff. And, and you have to think that, you know, well, that didn't really materialize with the Windsor Spitfires at all, but you have the Firebirds right there, a level of hockey, which I believe he had, what, four goals in the five games he played with the Firebirds earlier this season. It's a level of hockey he has already proven that he can play at. Uh, I got to think as Coachella Valley here is one of the best teams in the AHL, it would be really attractive to Ron Francis and the rest of the front office to have Shane Wright down there with them and learning some of those playoff um, lessons and getting that experience at a level that's even better than the OHL. Uh, just because you know this is what these this is the hand fate has dealt you, uh, you got to make the best of it, and I I really do think that's going to be the best situation for him as well. The other uh, bit of news and notes that I want to talk about, and this one is really like you know they're. There isn't a ton of to talk about, but I feel like he, you know, he basically has his own segment of our podcast now, and that's Andre Burakovsky and talking about, <laughs> you know, the injury situation with him here. Um, I want to talk about, you know, it was it was pointed out to us in the post game from that uh, last game that on the ESPN broadcast they mentioned something about a broken bone. Um, I it, that hasn't really been verified by anybody that we've kind of talked to or heard about. Like it's kind of this weird mystery situation, RJ, where still the team is not disclosing anything, at least not to like you guys. I don't know what that kind of means as far as ESPN, maybe having that, maybe it was a reference to the broken bone and ankle he played through last season in the playoffs. Like I, I don't know kind of what the situation here is. Right. There's still a lot of mystery around Andre Burakovsky in that situation. And uh, he did not skate at morning skate today. There was a, a couple games ago. He came back for one morning skate. We haven't really seen him on the ice since. And um, again, we, we every every time we get a chance, we ask Dave Haxtell about Andre Burakovsky. Are there any updates? Is there anything else you can tell us? And there really isn't a whole lot that he's willing to divulge at that at this point. And I, yeah, I understand the reasons for that. Um, but yeah, he was asked again today if uh, that maybe we'd see him at a practice or a morning skate soon coming up, you know, how that rehab process is going. And he just said, well, he wasn't out there today and, and gave a little bit of a smile, but then he, he clarified, he said, no, seriously, I'm not trying to mess with you or anything. Just, this is part of the rehab process. You know, it's a lot of this is, um, just trying to get right for the playoffs. And as soon as I have an update, I will tell you, uh, but there just is no update on his status as of now. All right, so there's the latest on Andre Burakovsky. Now let's do a quick week in review, RJ, because it was a big, important week for the Kraken. Not only did they clinch their first uh, ever playoffs, but they did so by going streaking. 3-0 and at the time of recording. Again, there's the Chicago game tonight. We don't know what happens in that one yet um, for obvious reasons. If we did, we would have won the lottery long ago and we would not be here. Uh, <laughs> or we'd be here, but we'd look a lot better. Um, so we, we could review RJ Kraken 3-0 and since the last time we recorded. Beaten Arizona twice and then Vancouver in Vancouver along the way. In that, in that three-game stretch, RJ, 17 Goals for five against, if I counted right, which I guess is always in question. Um, but the bottom line is this team looks like they are firing on all cylinders at the best time 
for this season right before the playoffs. They are just on. The Matty Beneers line has looked incredible through all three of these games. I mean, everything looks like it is just lining up perfectly for the Kraken right now. Yeah, they're getting hot at the right time, and that's exactly what you want heading into the playoffs. It doesn't hurt that they're playing against uh, teams that are maybe not the highest level of competition, but you look at the Canucks, they've, they've had trouble with them in the past. They're never an easy out. The Coyotes, maybe that's a different story, but I think that's good practice for the Kraken when you have that extra second or two with the puck and have that little bit of extra time and space to work with. And you're seeing that pay dividends as far as, especially how the first line is doing, uh, that McCann, Veneers, and Everly line that is absolutely rolling. And that is so important heading into the playoffs because we know that the Kraken, the depth is what their strength is, right? Yeah. That's what's going to power them through. But depth in the playoffs, it's great to have. It's necessary to have, but it's not enough. You need someone in your top six that is scoring, that is providing offense to you. And right now, the Kraken absolutely have that line. Right. And I feel like that's been the biggest difference maker for them. I mean, we've talked about that exact thing being an issue really a couple of weeks, you know, for the last couple of weeks, um, but don't have to talk about it anymore with this team. And I think that is fantastic. Oh, one more, I guess, injury just to kind of reference it. Um, Alexander Wenberg obviously took that puck up high, uh, saw, you know, his wife uh, put on Instagram 20 stitches. It looked like back out there seem okay. Yeah, he seemed fine. He was back out there with a uh, with a bandage over his ear. Yeah, it looks like that's kind of where it got him was in the ear. And uh, Haxtell did give a bit of an update on that. He even mentioned that if it was a close game, not just a playoff game, but if it was a close game, if it was a one-goal game, that he thinks that Wenberg probably would have been out there to, to close that one out. But, of course, given the score being what it was, there's no reason to rush him back out there. Yeah, and I bring that up also because, you know, we saw both of these games against the Coyotes get physical at the end oh yeah uh, things got a little I think that's rough fair to as, say. as things got got a little maybe out of hand as the scoreboard uh wasn't reading anything favorable to arizona at all um and in some ways i felt like that was kind of a good primer for the kraken because come playoff time the heightened emotions the fact that everything's on the line for everybody those games get testy and you got to deal with people getting up in your face you got to deal with people giving you that extra shove, trying to get something done behind the ref's back, all of that kind of stuff. And I felt like the Kraken handled it really, really well through this last right. week, through those two games. Yeah, in the playoffs, you have to make it clear that you are not going to be pushed around physically. And that's the message that the Kraken sent while also being successful on the scoreboard. Kind of mm -hmm. hard to do both and, and balance those things and stay focused. Uh, but the Kraken absolutely passed that test against the Coyotes. Um, yeah, Arizona just looked uh, pretty, pretty angry, you know, about maybe the I think they've lost nine in a row now. Daniel Sprong even acknowledged if, if we were in that situation, uh, I'd be you know pretty upset, too. But uh, yeah, it's it's something that the Kraken had to deal with. And I think they passed the test. Yeah, I, I do, too. Um, anything else you want to talk about this last week? I mean, power plays looked a little bit better. I still have my worries about that overall moving forward. But um, it does seem like they're at least trying some new things on the power play that we've seen this past week or so. Saw them working the puck inside a little bit more that's really exciting for me saw some success with that um just seeing some a little bit more player movement guys aren't as married and kind of stuck in their you know five square feet of ice uh, as they maybe were before i think all that's positives and i'd like to kind of see that continue over this last little bit here um leading into the playoffs i don't know about you 
You know what? I'm actually pretty optimistic on the power play. For whatever reason, it feels like they've kind of turned on some, some various things as we get toward the end of the season here. You talked about the player movement. You talked about using the inside and being a little more creative there. And maybe this is some recency bias because of these last few games, but also this morning. They were practicing special teams this morning, and I liked what I saw from the power play. You had Bjorkstrand get a really nice goal as they kind of snuck a pass into him right in tight from the bumper spot. You had Daniel Sprong moving all over the formation, you know, starting on his normal left side where he takes the one-timers, moving up as the play dictated to kind of handle point duties, and then even uh, sneaking down low on the right side. He was moving all over the ice. So it seems like they're going with a little bit more player movement as far as what they're trying now. Uh, I'm eager to see what they're able to do tonight against Chicago because it, it looked like there were a couple newer type of plays that they were drawing up or, or trying to practice. Interesting. Very interesting. I, too, I don't want to say too much, but I I, I'm excited to see what they can do. I know. I am intrigued by that. And then, you know, as we kind of move into our next topic here where we kind of have questions about seating and rest, it's going to be interesting too. you know, this is the time of year where do you start working on stuff? You know, you've clinched. You kind of know what your your fate is there. Do you start working on stuff and, and hold on to it? Uh, until the playoffs come you don't want to tip your hand too early or do you maybe start working this in against you know teams like a Chicago you still got another one against Arizona you know some maybe easier opponents try to try to get some better reps there and then maybe try to work on it against a, a good playoff team in a Vegas or like which which camp are you kind of in on stuff like that RJ Right. It's a tough trade-off because you want to practice. You want to get those reps in, especially game reps in with different looks on the power play and such. But whenever you do that, you're putting that on film. Mm -hmm. And as we'll discuss later, when we talk about what changes in the playoffs, teams have a lot more opportunity to dissect that film and see what it is that you're going for and game plan for it. So it's a trade-off. I like working on it in practice. I think maybe game-wise you do hold off until you you get to the playoffs. So I don't know if we'll see some of those looks tonight against Chicago. It wouldn't surprise me if we did, but I think there might be some things that there some little wrinkles on special teams that they're hanging on to. That's that's maybe how I would play it. If you have like s sort of like a new concept, you can maybe start working around that. But it, like any sort of individual specific setups and plays, and if you know X player is here, we go with play Y. I think you save some of that stuff uh, behind closed doors until you get there i want to talk about um circling seattle sports had a tweet um earlier today rj um interesting note kraken players are meeting with ron francis right now justin schultz adam larson jordan eberly amongst others six in total interesting so i want to talk about this rj because it's you know a little odd to see maybe ron francis talking with the players uh you know prior to a morning skater around that time and all that kind of stuff um people people discussing it a lot in the discord about what this could be uh you know things like you know practice schedule for the playoffs accommodations for the playoffs load management and strategies um you know things like that being thrown around and so i do want to ask you about that for the kraken I mean, and this is just, I want your opinion. I I'm doubt the Kraken have told you anything. Uh, they're yeah, probably no, they, not they have not. disclosing <laughs> this information. But one, just your thoughts about Ron Francis speaking with, you know, those are three veteran members of the team. I have to imagine all the, all the people he spoke to are, are guys who have either gone on deep playoff runs or are part of the leadership group for the team. Um, just your thoughts on Ron Francis discussing with them something. And then two, your thoughts on, on if you think that it was something along those lines, because that makes a lot of sense to me. 
Right. And that that's what would make sense to me as well. And a good catch there by uh, Charles, friend of ECH, of course, yes. uh, was on that last post game yes. live with us. Um, good catch by him to see that. And yeah, it, it could be any a number of those things. But I think the rest schedule might be the one that would make the most sense in my mind anyway. Um, just kind of deciding, okay, how do we want to play this from the veterans? What, what do you need? What do you feel like is, is kind of the feeling in the room as far as what the guys want? Because that is a trade-off that the team has to deal with. And it's something that we uh, talked uh, Carson Soucy and Dave Haxtall about today, how you balance that, that rest and, and evaluating the team's health versus trying to stay in that competitive playoff mode. At least for right now, Haxtell didn't seem too eager to rest anybody. He talked about, he mentioned this at least three or four times, how the points still mean a whole lot right now. They, they still matter quite a bit. Um, and so you're not wanting to rest people quite yet, but it, it's something that I have to think that they're, they're going to look at. Yeah, so my, my first thought was I'm actually really happy that Ron Francis was talking with the team. I love that there is communication there and that, you know, whether it was Ron Francis who initiated this or the team or whoever, um, that, that somebody initiated this conversation because I think that that is so important. I think whether you're talking about any any sort of business uh, where, you, where you're dealing with like a, a boss-employee relationship, whether it's your personal relationship, your relationship with your family, communication, number Number one thing on this planet it just is it's responsible for civilization it's responsible for all the good and all the bad is usually the lack of the communication there so i think <laughs> communication always always a positive really happy to see that for the team as they approach you know the most important moments in their franchise's history what is going to happen in this playoff run as for you know the potential seeding and the rest issue i feel like the team is playing really well right now it kind of it's, it's kind of good and bad that their schedule is so kind of backloaded these final two weeks where you're dealing with the back-to-backs and the travel and all of that kind of stuff. And the good, you know, the positives of that is it's getting you ready for the playoffs where it's going to be, you know, every other day as you're going through that. And it's just, it's rough and it's brutal and all of that. And you get like a nice primer for it here. The downside being that you don't really get to rest and get ready and prepare for that grind that is going to be the playoffs. It's really interesting to me. I'm I'm kind of personally of the opinion, RJ. I seating doesn't bother me too much. Like if I'm the Kraken, I don't know that it's that important that you totally worry about the seating. I think you probably play your full regular roster through the Chicago and Arizona game. And then when it comes to those final two games of the season, if it looks like you're really just locked into whoever the central is going to have for you, I don't know that you need to throw your guys out there to get beat up by Vegas right before the playoffs start. And so it'll be interesting to see if maybe the messaging from a Dave Hackstall changes a little bit after these next two games. But that's that's kind of how I would play it. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I would, you know, not <laughs> risk guys in those last two games against Vegas if you don't have to. And I did ask Dave Haxtell specifically about the seeding. And he said, we're not really thinking about the seeding a whole lot, but you look at uh, basically what the two points that are in front of you would give you. And he said, last game, those two points give us that playoff spot. They locked that up for us. And he said tonight, the two points that are on, on the line, so this would be the Chicago game, could be what puts us into that first wild card spot and, and kind of locks that up for us there and makes so we can't fall into the second wild card spot. And I think that's really where the importance of seeding for him is in his mind is making sure you don't fall into that second wild card spot. And I certainly agree with them there. Yeah. You don't want to fall back into that, but one more win over all these games throughout the season, one more win will probably get you there. 
That's, yeah. that's really all you need. So I think at that point, then you can really start to look and, and see, okay, you know, who can we rest? Who needs a little breather? What can we do there? Um, and yeah, talk to Carson Susi also. I mean, he, he was of the opinion, he's like, I didn't think the seating could really change all that much. Um, and, you know, in, in a way he's right. They're about 90% chance locked into this top wildcard spot, but you know, there are possibilities to drop down, which you don't want. There's also the possibility of getting that third Pacific division spot. Yeah. Uh, the Kraken are four points back with the game in hand. So you know, that's that's certainly doable. And it looks like they'll have the tiebreaker. I don't think they should be focused on that at all. One, it's out of their hands. They'll need some help. They'll need some losses from the Kings. Um, but two, I don't think you want it. My own opinion, I don't think you want to take that third Pacific spot. That, that means you're looking at playing the Edmonton Oilers. We talked about this in our playoff preview. I think both of us would like to avoid the Oilers if at all possible. So um, yeah, maybe I'll almost avoid doing too well and overtaking that spot. I've heard from a few of my Kings contacts you know, that, that are Kings fans and, and people around the Kings. They said, please take that spot from us. Please overtake us for that, for that third Pacific spot. I don't think the Kraken want it. I don't think the Kraken want it. And yes, we talked about this last week when we talked and kind of broke down the all, you know, six potential matchups for the Seattle Kraken, at least at that point in time. And we both agreed the two worst options for both of us. And we, you know, had these, you know, mixed around a little bit, but the two worst options were the Vegas Golden Knights and the Edmonton Oilers. And so, yes, I yep. think going up and then having to play one of those two teams guaranteed if you're that th if you're at that third spot in the Pacific Division, definitely bad. I think dropping down to the second wild card spot where you're most likely going to have to play one of those two teams as well, also bad. So, I do think that the best thing for them is to kind of stay where they're at, finish the first wild card spot and take on whoever the Central Division is able to kind of spit out and and deal with the situation over there. Uh, I think we're on the same page there. Uh, all right, so now to turn uh, our attention to the, the deep dive portion of the deep dive podcast here, RJ, and that is what Kraken fans should expect from the playoffs and kind of give like a playoff primer uh, for everybody who, you know, again, whether you've watched playoff hockey before but didn't really have a team that you were super passionate about your team yet, or even if you're an experienced um, you know, you're used to this situation. You've rooted for teams in the past. You've followed them on their playoff journeys and stuff. Maybe you'll still pick up some good stuff in here. I'd also love to hear everybody's comments. Uh, you know, uh, if you're on the YouTube version down in the comment section below, tweet at us, let us know on the discord, because I'm always curious how everybody kind of deals with the, the pressure and the stress and everything that goes on in the playoffs and also how much everybody enjoys the playoffs because the game does change. And how does the game change RJ? Well, Dave Haxtell was kind of asked about that. And I think we should play the audio because, you know, maybe, maybe Dave Haxtell could just do our job for us. Let's, we'll see if he could just kind of take it away for the rest of the podcast here. You, it's, it's not something you can really describe. You have to experience playoff hockey. You have to, as a, um, whether you're a fan, a player, a coach, um, you, you know, you're going to go through that experience and you'll feel the difference. Um, and, you know, you'll, You'll know what I mean by that answer when, when, you know, as we go through that. All right. Well, you know, I was hopeful anyway, he could take that away for us, but I guess not <laughs> after all that. I do think though, RJ said something very good. And I think this should be the, the playoff tagline for the NHL playoffs, playoff hockey experience the difference. I think that's actually low key pretty <laughs> good. I don't know what the, what like coaches contracts are like, if the NHL can just kind of take that and be like, well, you came up with that while working for us. So that's ours now or, or not, but I think that's pretty good. 
Yeah, no, I, I think the league the league owns that. They could use it. And yeah, I think it's a good tagline. Experience the difference. Uh, and, and you certainly will. So, I mean, in general, Hackstall this morning basically saying, you know, it's not something you can describe. You have to experience it for yourself. And I do think there's an element of truth to that. It's mm -hmm. not something that you can fully describe until you experience it. But today we're, we're going to try and give you at least an idea of what you can expect to experience as we all take in this first Kraken playoff run together. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, you've been preparing for this podcast, RJ, for weeks. Like you have been so I've been looking forward to this. it. Yes. So I'm going to largely just hand this over to you, I think, because you're the one who's I'm sure you've got you know, spreadsheet after spreadsheet of notes and things you want to talk about and playoff memories and all that good stuff. So I'm going to go ahead and, and hand this over to you. But I do think we should probably start with just how does the game change? Because I think that's something that a lot of fans, especially newer fans, hear a lot about the playoffs. But what does that really mean? You know what I mean? Yeah, there are a lot of different elements of it, too. I, I've got a whole lot on how the game changes and and what is different. But I, I think starting from a general sense, okay. every single shift is is different. It's at another level. I know that the whole cliche to go cranked up to 11, but it really is that because there's a reason for it, too. There's a, a level of play, a, a level of exertion, and I think a level of punishment that you both you dish out and you're willing to take that you literally cannot sustain for 82 games that nobody could sustain for 82 games without just destroying themselves. Mm -hmm. And so in the regular season, again, they're not so much holding back. I don't want to say anything like that, but you, you kind of pick your spots to, to give that extra bit of energy. And, and you see that with some of the most intense shifts that you can think of this season. Like for those of you who have, have watched Kraken hockey all this season, you know, go back and think of, you know, maybe the five or 10 shifts all season that, that kind of stand out above the rest. I think you can put that in your mind, picture it. And that's what it's like every single shift in the playoffs. There, there is not a shift off because guys, basically, you never know when that last game is going to be. You never know when your season's going to be over. So you kind of have to empty the tank almost every single night. Yeah, the big thing for me is, bottom line is, your whole season is now at most seven games. And you have to, all the teams kind of have to approach it that way. It could be as few as four games. Like your entire season is now four games long. So now think of how much more important every aspect of all four of those games is when that's, you know, a quarter of your season, because that's what this turns into is you gotta, you gotta get through a seven game series. You've got to win four games. And, and that's really what the change happens. And that's why you see that intensity level, the effort level, everybody, you know, they, they find that extra gear to their motor. It's going to be crazy to see how Maddie's going to try to dig another one out there. Uh, it's already like he goes 110% all the time, but uh, I'm sure he'll find one. Um, but that's, that's the bottom line is that your whole season is now four to seven games long. And so if that is the case, then yes, you have to treat every moment you're on the ice that much more seriously. You cannot afford to make mistakes in the same way. You can't, you have to be able to be ready to capitalize when the other team makes a mistake. So you've got to be 
really focused. Like I've talked a lot in the past about the mental focus uh, that you have to have in hockey, whether you're a defenseman or a forward and all the different scenarios there, but they have to be mentally focused at all times. You have to be physical at all times. You have to always be ready to take a hit. You've got to always be ready to dish out a hit because maybe that's the thing that causes the turnover that gives your team a good chance. Maybe that's the thing that wears out that other team that causes them to make a mental error later just because they have to now look over their shoulder a little bit more. All of those things go into this because your season is now four to seven games long and that's it. And unless you're just a team that just wants to you know, get on vacation right away and that's why you play hockey, which no, it's not the case for any of them, uh, you're, you're dialed in because you want to try to get to that next four to seven game season after this one. And uh, that's, that's for me is the big thing is you just see these teams, you see how much it means to them, all those shifts like you talked about, because they know if you have two or three bad shifts, that could be it. That's a, that's a quarter of your season wasted. You know what I mean? If that costs you that game. Exactly. And and one of the things that amplifies that too, I think it really more than the regular season comes down to that effort level, that willingness to just go that extra mile is, is the fact that there's that familiarity there between the two teams. And that's the next thing I want to talk about is that the teams can really focus in on each other in a way that they can't do in the regular season. In the regular season, there's kind of a limited amount of scouting you can really do for each opponent because you've got another opponent coming up in a couple days on the schedule. You can't really do that deep dive on, on what it is that this team does. In the playoffs, you know everything. that The scouting department, you know, everybody has come together and, and given you all the information, and certainly by the end of a series, you know. In the playoffs, you know each other's tendencies, you know each other's systems, you know each other's plays, you know everything about the opponent. So often what it'll come down to is who wants it more and who makes fewer mistakes. And that's one of the things that Jordan Everly highlighted uh, right after the Kraken clinched the other night. And Jordan Everly, he's got a ton of playoff experience, especially with those Islanders teams that went head to head against the dynasty that was the Tampa Bay lightning was, and is the Tampa Bay lightning. Um, he's been through a lot. He's seen it all. And that was the first thing that he mentioned the other night. He said in the playoffs, it feels like every single mistake you make ends up in the back of your net and vice versa. And it comes down to just when you know, every each other's systems know everything about the other team, it just comes down to, okay, who's going to make fewer mistakes. Who's going to play at that 110% level for that one extra shift. And, and that just kind of drives everyone to, to give that effort all the time. Right. And I think the one thing you mentioned out of like the information that you know about the other team by the end of a series is, you know, which guys are hurting and where they're hurting. And that also yep. becomes a part of this, maybe not as much in the first round as it does maybe later on in the playoffs, but that is a big part of it as well. Um, it is a grind. We talked about the physical element of it. We'll probably talk about that a little bit more later on, mm -hmm. but that is, that is also very valuable information that we have seen teams thinking of those Islanders teams, uh, specifically RJ, really try to capitalize on information such as where injuries may be on certain people's bodies. Uh, and and if, that is the, if that is your way of kind of finding the edge, then that's on the table is the bottom line. You know what I mean? Like everything's now on the table. Uh, it's interesting that, you know, also looking back at this last week and then this last month, RJ, because the regular season because of the schedule. We've actually gotten a couple examples of the Kraken playing teams very close together or even back-to-back. -back. On this last week, we've seen them play the Coyotes twice. They're going to play them again on Monday, the day this podcast comes out. Uh, 
that has been already interesting through those two games. We saw some of the physical elements co- you know, bleed over from game to game. We talked about that already. But we did see Arizona made adjustments from game one to game two to try to slow down that Matty Beneers line. They changed kind of who they wanted to try to match up against them. Again, they couldn't totally do that because they were the away team. Um, but you you could see them trying to make that chess match, and I think they made poor moves. They they looked worse to me, arguably, for that second game, uh, at least against the Matty line. Um, but we, we we got to see the Kraken kind of deal with the situation there. And they're, you know, again, still dealing with that right now against the Coyotes. But last month, when you got the back-to-back games against Dallas, and then you have that third game just a little bit after that, we really saw the diff, you know, what it means to play a team back-to-back against Dallas there and the, the coaching strategy, the chess match that goes on between that in that series, Dave Haxtall and Pete DeBoer. It was really fascinating. It was. I mean, you definitely see the adjustments that are made by each of the coaches. And and that's kind of what it comes down to also is that you adjust to your opponent and it's this it's this battle back and forth. And I think this is a good segue into kind of the next part that I wanted to get into. You, you mentioned um, the hits adding up over the course of a series and you know who's hurt, you know who's not feeling things, you know, beyond probably what they'd play through in the regular season. And that's that battle of attrition that you get in any kind of playoff series. And I think that has to do with a difference in how hockey, not just is played in the playoffs, but also officiated in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And I think there's kind of a larger conversation. And at at times I think an unpleasant conversation that we need to have about this different standard of officiating the playoffs, how it changes. And that's something that anyone will tell you that it's been through playoff hockey um, is it's different how the refs call games. Now, you look at some very good research that's been done around the NHL, and it does show that counterintuitive to what counter to what you might think, there are actually more penalties called in the playoffs, more power plays given in the playoffs uh, than in the regular season on average. And so you might think, okay, refs are, are letting less stuff go. They're, they're um, tightening, tightening in on things. But that's not that doesn't tell the whole story. A lot of those penalties, they're very front-loaded toward the first few games of the first round of the playoffs. Now, what the refs will generally try and do is they will try and uh, set a standard basically and uh, make it so, okay, you know, here's where the line is. You can't go past the line. And we're going to call any little thing that goes past that line. But one thing that they just can't avoid is the further you get into the playoffs, and especially as you get into round two or three in the Stanley Cup finals, the more the refs put the whistles away. And that's that's just the the fact of it, it, what it is. And Jordan Eberle would know that better than anyone being in those Islanders Tampa series. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I think there's a good side and a bad side to it, Dylan. I'm curious to get your opinion on it. I think there's the good. You know, you don't necessarily want referees influencing and deciding games. Yeah, I think that's something we, we can all agree on. And generally when they don't call as much you get less ref interference on that stuff there's less of a chance that they're going to call a penalty that's going to decide a game sometimes there's missed calls that end up you know kind of deciding game you can uh play the other side of it but generally they're trying to stay out of the game um and then smaller things too and this is one thing i found really interesting hearing from some kraken players and especially defensemen today you know if you're a defenseman there are different ways that you can defend in front of your own net Uh, You can get away with things you can't get away with in the regular season. And I think a lot of players, especially, you know, larger players or maybe more physical players, they like that more, Mm -hmm. you know, cross-checking is a little bit more permissible. You can kind of grab guys a little bit more in front of the net. It becomes more of a strength battle. That's, um, 
that's decided by, you know, man versus man in front rather than a referee kind of picking apart what you can and can't do. And so I, I think, you know, there's some positives to that. And then you look, watch some of those physical battles and as long as it's kind of clean and within the, you know, the greater scope of the rules, that can be a good thing. Um, but, you know, there, there's a downside to it. And that is, um, I mean, here, I'll, I'll get your opinion, Dylan, on, on generally what you think of, let's, let's put aside the conversation about when it kind of goes past the line and when guys right. get injured and all this stuff, we'll, we'll do that next. But for now, what do you have to say about the way that it's called differently and do you like it or do you not? One of the, one of the things that I think doesn't get brought up enough when it comes down to how many penalties are called in the playoffs and stuff and are the, do they put their whistles away, do they not, is I wonder how much of it is they're actually calling, like if you say penalties are called every three times the ref sees a player do something and he issues them a warning or two and then he finally calls a penalty. I mean, the bottom line is things just get grittier, maybe dirtier, maybe just more physical penalties are more frequently actually happen because everybody is hacking and whacking at each other. Everybody is pushing and shoving each other. Everybody is hitting each other all of the time. I do wonder if that just the idea of the penalties going down over the playoffs, if it's, if it just seems that way almost just because there's so many instances in which they technically could be calling penalties that they just aren't. And we're seeing that happen. So it feels like they put the, the whistles away more so than they actually do uh, just because it's, it's all more frequent. And if that kind of also is, is, you know, why they call so much at the beginning is just because they they're calling it as they see it and it's just happening more. You know what I mean? I, I always have wondered about that. Right. And I, I definitely think there is something to that. Where, look, if they were going to call a penalty every time that something could be called a penalty, you'd have 10 guys in the box and nobody left to play the game. Yeah. Once you get to the, the conference finals and the cup final, that's just the reality of what happens because guys are willing to to take that step and go that far right. to try and win. That's that's just what happens. And you, you kind of dare the refs to call it all. And, you know, you the refs, you just kind of have to pick your spots yeah. uh, where you do and don't call penalties. And it, and it just becomes a very difficult job. So that's, you know, that's part of it where the, the, the penalty calls are going to look, look a little bit different. If you see something like, oh, that's a hook, like in the regular season, a lot of the times that's not going to get called in the playoffs. Yeah, just be ready um, for that. <laughs> exactly. Be ready for that. Know that there's going to be a lot of stuff that looks like what you would see as a penalty in the regular season. That's not going to be a penalty in the playoffs. And that's just how it is. But I think, look, on, on the, the more bad side of it, yeah. I think we need to have a, kind of a frank conversation about this because, mm -hmm. look, I love playoff hockey. I know you love playoff hockey, mm -hmm. Dylan, and it is it is the greatest thing in all of sports. But there, this is a downside to playoff hockey that frustrates me as a fan of the sport and someone who wants to see the players just healthy and, and wants to see their well-being right. and i understand that you you know you you go to great lengths and you make physical sacrifices to you know to try and win a stanley cup but ultimately the the math of it is it pays to injure opposing players in the playoffs and that's what i don't like about it this is as much of a problem with the officials as it is with the department of player safety being honest the benefit to your team from injuring an opponent is far greater than the punishment of a penalty or a one to two game suspension that you're that you're likely to receive. And so this can be a very frustrating thing for fans of certain teams in the playoffs whenever you're on the, the wrong side of it. Mm -hmm. um, because 
there is a a kind of mutual respect from the players for one another and for their well-being. No one wants to go out and try and intentionally injure somebody. But if we're being honest, it happens. And some teams are more willing to do that than others. And generally when that happens, they're rewarded for it. You know, you, you, you make sure that a player either misses future games or is not himself, is not quite right for the rest of a series. And generally the punishment d- does not fit the effect. Uh, there's a lot of stuff behind the play that doesn't get called. Um, you know, various things in front of the net that, that you can do uh, that if the ref isn't looking or even often if the ref is looking, but if you're sneaky enough about it where you can, you know, where you can injure an opponent and it's going to benefit you. So that's just something to know going into the playoffs that, uh, you know, you could have a player take a run at Matty Beniers or or give kind of a, a shot at the ribs, you know, underneath the, the chest pad or something. And and it'd be a clear cross check. Everyone knows full well, and it's a two minute penalty. And and Maddie's got broken ribs the rest of the series, and he's not quite himself. And the the you know the punishment was two minutes. Uh, yeah. That's that's just a situation that's I think unfortunate, in, in my opinion, that exists in the playoffs. It's definitely unfortunate, especially because we know on the flip side, and you and I have both been vocal about this. Maddie in this scenario is playing through broken ribs. That's not good. That's not healthy. No one should do that. Like that's it's not smart from a medical standpoint. You could do so much damage to yourself doing that. Uh, but that's what we see is because we do see players get injured and I mean injured, not hurt. But like we see actual injuries occur and we see the players try to play through them. And I think that's a separate discussion. But to stick with what you're talking about. Um, yeah, it is true. And whether it's, you know, actual dirty play that really is like intent to injure or it's I'm in playoff mode. So every time I see a player with the puck, I am hitting them regardless of if they're in a dangerous spot, their, their head is facing the boards and I'm just going to shove it into the boards or, or they're near the posts and I'm going to jam them into the post where that's going to really get them under their pad or something like that. That's, that's also that that's just all on the table for all these players is it is just, you, you see player, you hit player. Uh, regardless of situation where in the regular season you might see them think twice about hitting players if they look like they're in a vulnerable situation or they're playing um you know things they're already engaged with somebody else right like you'll see players kind of respect that a lot more like you said than you will in the playoffs uh where you know what that does look like it's going to cause maximum damage so i'm going for it and you know the bottom line is as you said Department of Player Safety has been woefully inadequate these past several seasons when it comes to this. Um, We have seen guys go out there, do very dangerous plays, significantly injure opponents, and get maybe a one, maybe, absolute, like, worst-case scenario, two-game suspension, right? Because the Department of Player Safety treats all this as, well, playoff games are more important. We want the players to be able to play in the playoff games because it means that much more to their team. And really because the games are, you know, could only be a four to seven series. So that's like a quarter of your season. Then suspending one game is really like, you know, 20 in the regular season kind of thing. Like they try to do this weird math, but the bottom line is it, it leads to exactly what you're talking about, where it almost promotes the idea of especially depth players going out there against star players And, you know, if the punishment is, well, I might lose my fourth line winger for one game, but the other guy is going to be significantly injured for the next five, like that math is easy to figure out. And it is only up to 
the respect of the players on the ice at any given time that this whole situation doesn't devolve into absolute chaos and something that would frankly be horrific to watch. And it's it's kind of crazy to talk about it that way, but it's true. Right. And when you rely on that respect, again, most of the time, most guys have that. But in playoff hockey, when emotions run as high as they do, it's just not a good system when that's all you have to rely on, when the Department of Player Safety isn't going to do anything uh, you know, to help with that or create the kind of consequences that need to exist. So it's it's just something to know, you know, if, if anyone who, who had seen, you know, those I keep bringing it up, but the Lightning Islanders series, the, yes. the carnage that happened there, you know, they understand, you know, what can happen. I mean, if you watch the I don't want to get too much specifics. If you watch the 2019 Blues Stanley Cup run. You know, all the way along there, it was concussion after concussion after concussion doled out and, and you know, kind of no punishment given. And, and that's, you know, you can find success that way, unfortunately, but it's just it's something to, to know about. Yeah, it is generally a tactic used by underdog teams. Uh, yep. like this bottom line, you talk about those situations, right? Blues coming in, they were not supposed to win that Stanley cup, but they did. Uh, you talk about that Islanders Tampa series. I mean, Islanders big underdog against that Tampa team. They had to, you're, you're doing whatever you can. So in that sense, just for people, don't be too scared for the Kraken. Kraken are going to be <laughs> playing a division winner. Probably a division winner is just going to try to beat the Kraken straight up. They're probably not feeling like they have to go out there and try to injure anybody or do anything. Uh, it would actually be the Kraken that you know traditionally would be in the spot to do that. I don't know that we're going to really see that from the Kraken. I think you're going to see what was alluded to from the Kraken already, which is, hey, Kraken have a bunch of giants playing defense back there. I think they're just going to focus on being able to do get away with the stuff that the playoffs let you get away with as far as engaging with people physically away from the puck that would otherwise maybe sometimes be called interference or a cross check or whatever. And I think the Kraken are just going to try to play it, you know, that way where it's just, we're going to use our size and our physicality to make sure our goaltenders can see the puck and all that kind of stuff. And then we'll let our score, our, our forwards score and do the rest. I don't think we'll see a Kraken team kind of go out there and have the mentality of like, well, if we're going to have to beat Colorado, it's probably because we're going to have to make sure Nathan McKinnon isn't playing these games. I just don't see that being the case here. Exactly. I don't see that coming. And because you, you look at most Kraken players have playoff experience in the past. Yes. And there's just nobody with that on their resume that's done that kind of thing really before. Um, so I, I wouldn't expect to see it now. But you're right. Players like I, I keep thinking Will Borgen with his you know martial arts background and, and ability to just kind of throw guys down in that strength that maybe if you do some of that stuff net front during the regular season, you get called for a lot of penalties, but it could actually be really effective come playoff time. Yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating. Um, what what do you have? What do you have next, RJ? All right, so on to the more you know little refresher here from all the yes. the physicality and the nastiness, the tactical side. Yeah. So I love talking about this stuff. You mentioned the coaching battle a little bit earlier, but one thing that you need to be aware of if you're watching playoff hockey is line matchups and last change in particular. Mm -hmm. So this is something that technically does exist in the regular season. Like the, these rules are the same in the regular season, but it isn't used a ton because you, like, as we mentioned, scheduling wise, it's just one team to the next, to the next. It, there's not a whole lot of advantage to it if you're not seeing the same team over and over again, but how this works. So how last change works after every stoppage of play. So when you're coming out for that next face off, and you're making a line change, the road team has to send their players out first. And then the home coach can then decide which line that he wants to counter that with. 
So the, you know, the road team can't see like, oh, you, you know, you put out this line. Okay. No, no, no. I want to, I want to sub in these other guys to match up against it. No, the home teams are in charge of the matchups uh, when you get face-offs coming after stoppages. So that's an advantage that you can play as the home team. As the home team, a lot of the game, a lot of the time, you're able to get the matchups that you want. So if, for instance, the other team has a star player and you want a specific shutdown line out there on the ice against that player as often as possible, at home, you're much more able to do that. You're generally able to get those matchups. On the road, it can be more difficult. You can be a little bit more exposed. If you have a line that's kind of weaker than the others and you put them out on the ice, the other team can go and put their best line out against that line and try and feast on the matchup. So you're going to see that kind of chess game, that back and forth between the coaches a lot, no matter who the Kraken play. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's it's a really big deal. We've seen series really just be dictated by line matchups and and we've seen series rj you and i that have gone seven games where the home team has won just every game just because they were able to to kind of do that and work that out um it's a it's a big part of the playoffs uh is is being able to figure that out and you know this is one of the reasons why you know it's been fun having the kraken be like a road team and road warriors and have that amazing away record and kind of all that cool stuff that they've been able to do but it's one of those things that you know in the back of my mind was a concern all along of okay as they kind of fell down and looked like a wild card team yes you're going to be on the road and on paper right oh your away record much better than your home record but teams weren't really focused on doing that to you before but now you're going to start to see that if teams have a shutdown line you're going to see that go out there against maddie Beniers and jared mccann and it's going to it's going to affect them um but this is also where conversely i feel like the kraken having depth helps out a lot here because it does mean that if your top line gets shut down You've got three more there ready to, to kind of pick up the pace and, and, and make up for that there. So I, I'm, I'm excited for that. I also think that Dave Haxtell's way of rolling all the lines and especially having the top three lines kind of play equal minutes, that's not pretty typical for how teams roll in the playoffs. I doubt he's going to change anything for the playoffs. This really just seems like what he's committed to this year because of the depth that the Kraken have. I think that could be something that could kind of cause an issue for other teams as they are trying to play matchups at home. What is that other coach going to do when you're not following the traditional formula of, of ice time? And I'm really intrigued to see based on what team they play against, how the other teams actually try to tackle that issue. Right. The Kraken aren't built like most other teams. They have exceptional depth and it kind of takes that last change out of the equation a little bit. When you've got four lines, you can feel confident going out against anybody. Uh, taking advantage of the last change, that's the scenario I mentioned earlier, where you have a line that's kind of a weak link and the other team can send out an advantageous matchup. The Kraken don't really have a weak link of a forward line. Uh, even one through four, they're all pretty strong and they can all play against anybody. So that's going to be really helpful, I, I think, come playoff time. And But yeah, we'll see too, because Haxtell generally coaches will will bump up the ice time for their uh, for their best players in the playoffs. Haxtell hasn't done that in the regular season. Maybe we'll see it a little bit in the playoffs, but I don't think we'll see the, you know, this massive effect where you've got, you know, Beneers and McCann and Everly each playing 25, 26 minutes. I just don't think we'll see that. No. And it doesn't, 
given the given the the team that the kraken have it doesn't make a ton of sense right because that that playing time most likely comes from the third line the gourd line but who's got you know phenomenal playoff experience on your team yanni gourd right like you're not going to cut his ice time come playoff time to give it to a, you know a rookie in maddie veneers no matter how good maddie veneers is these at least the first two or three playoff games here he's going to have to get used to the speed the intensity the physicality all of that stuff uh, so I, I really don't see, at least in the first round anyway, Hackstall kind of changing things up a lot. But also talk about Yanni Gord. Yanni Gord, Alexander Wenberg, went for those games at CPA, you're going to have a whole new respect for those two guys as centers and their ability to play defense and shut down some of the best players in the National Hockey League uh, when they are sent out there to potentially have to stop, whether it's a Nathan McKinnon or it's a uh, Jason Robertson or whoever it is. Uh, you're going to see just how capable those two guys are. Right, and that's definitely something to look for as you watch playoff hockey as a fan. When we get games three and four at Climate Pledge Arena, watch to see who the other team stars are matched up against, which center takes that responsibility, you know, Yanni Gord or Alex Wenberg most likely. And that is all done very intentionally too. That is exactly who Dave Haxtell wants out there against the other team star players and who he trusts defensively. And he's got a lot of good options to go to. And sometimes, you know, you'll see a line that, that gets the defensive assignment and maybe it doesn't go well. And then you'll switch which line gets the defensive assignment. You know, there, there's lots of kind of shuffling that way, but it's always worth looking at and knowing that just this line isn't out against this other line randomly. There's always thought that goes into it. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, the, the tactics and the, the chess match between the coaches and stuff. I mean, this is where coaches like this is the make or break time for them. A lot of the regular season, it's just about the setting a culture, managing everybody, keeping emotions all good, all that kind of stuff, keeping good times rolling, getting out of bad times, all that kind of stuff. This is the time where really in hockey and in the NHL coaches get tactical and they are brainstorming and they are trying to do all that kind of stuff. It's it's very, very fun to, to watch that happen. I'm very excited for uh to to see what dave haxtall has in store for us there yep all right so this is the last thing moving on the last thing that i had written down to talk about we can we can see if there's anything else you want to talk about too um first of all i guess is there anything else you want to add before i get to playoff overtime no get to playoff overtime because all my stuff is how then people can manage everything that you're going to be experiencing (laughs) Okay, perfect. Perfect. All right. That that is going to be the perfect one two into that because playoff overtime, uh, it is going to be the most intense, crazy, difficult to manage emotionally. Yes, at the very least hockey that you are ever going to see there is nothing like playoff overtime and even if you've been uh, you know a hockey fan for a long time um and you've watched playoff overtime hockey as as a neutral observer as you know not a, a diehard fan of one of the two teams it does not compare to when you have your team in playoff overtime and you are just living and dying by every single shot attempt, you know, anything that comes close to the net. So um, just to explain the rules and how it works, especially for newer fans in the regular season. uh, And you may have seen this already in the regular season. If a game's tied at the end of the third period, you get one five minute period of three on three overtime. And if nobody scores there, then it goes to a shootout and uh, you get the winner in the shootout. So in the playoffs, it's very different. It is five on five first of all, just like in regulation, and it is 20-minute overtime periods 
just one after the other until somebody scores and you have a full intermission in between the overtime periods too. It's as if there's just a fourth period and a fifth period and a sixth and so on in the game until somebody scores. And they made it until somebody scores. It doesn't yes. matter if you play three full overtimes, which equates to a whole second game, five overtimes, six overtimes. Um, it'll just keep going until you get a winner. Uh, and it is some of the most intense hockey you will ever see. Um, going back to the penalty discussion, penalties go out the window. Yeah. Refs will only call what they are absolutely forced to. So know that if it's playoff overtime and you're like, that wasn't called, it should have been called get used to it because the penalties aren't getting called if the puck it's oddly enough the the only ones that are called are things like delay a game puck yeah. out of play things where you know it's according to the rule they have no choice so it's weird it seems like some inconsequential ones that get called but that is the situation for playoff overtime those are the rules and i mean take everything we said about every shift mattering the most and it all being cranked up to 11 all the time because you never know how much longer this your whole season could be you know, four to seven games. Well, now your whole season could be one shift. Yep. And it is that way every single shift in playoff overtime. And what what do you have to add on, on overtime here? It's Dylan? absolutely the best because not only is it all that important, and I think I have issues with the whole playoffs it is when it gets cranked up to 11 because I think the regular season hangs out seven, eight, maybe occasionally you get to nine. Playoffs are just 10. Playoff overtime is where you crank it to there 11 on the amp. And and that's that's what's going on. Because as you said, I, I perfectly agree with everything you've already said, especially that stuff there at the end where, where your whole season is shift by shift. Only you've already played a full 60 minutes of hockey. So what you start seeing is you start seeing the mistakes. And then you start seeing the slower reactions to trying to capitalize on those mistakes. And it turns into... You go from being in this place for most of the regular game where you're just on pins and needles about whether or not your team's going to make the mistake or waiting on the other team to make a mistake to you start seeing mistakes happen and your team can't always get there to do it because they're tired, because they're mentally fatigued and they're thinking half a step slower. And it becomes this completely different experience where you a lot of times go from hoping something bad doesn't happen to you're hoping bad things happen, but your team is able to do something about it. It's a very interesting thing i'm sure you'll all get to experience it at some point here uh but it's it's just so fascinating to watch and yeah i mean i hope you're you're a night owl but you're capable of getting up for work the next morning because the other thing is i you and i both watched games where they finish in a third overtime rj and it's the next day by the time that game is over and oh by the way not only do you have to get up and do your job the next day but that game, that next game in the series is still scheduled for, you know, the next day at that point, right? Like if the game is on Monday, but it bleeds into Tuesday morning, uh, that next game is still on Wednesday. And so you see that those overtimes can really start taking a toll, especially in close series that have a couple overtime games. You see that fatigue set in for both teams and it becomes even that much more important for, for the coaches to be able to manage minutes, manage what they're doing strategically, and then also managing their players and, and how the players have to really find within themselves a way of staying mentally focused and not letting that fatigue get to them. Uh, because I think a lot of times when you deal with those slogs of a series where all the games are going to overtime and stuff, the mental toughness becomes so much more important than the physical toughness, RJ. 
exactly fatigue and um that that attrition it just becomes the name of the game at a certain point and and being able to mentally stay with that God, especially if you lose one of those yes. games if you if even if it's game one and it goes to a third overtime and you lose that game how do you bounce back in a couple days and get back into that series when you've devoted not just one but basically two games of energy to something and, and you have nothing to show for it right um it's it's such a big mental swing in a series yeah. when you have those multiple overtime games uh, where, I mean, that, that could just, that can be it for certain teams. Even if you, you had a series lead and that just ties it up um, that, that can be it for you mentally sometimes. Um, and also just as you get into the further overtimes, the, the physical fatigue, um, you, you see players even at overtime intermissions chowing down on hot dogs or whatever they can find in the arena that they have um, just to get a little bit more, uh, you know, nutrients just to work off of because you we we've talked about this in the past like nhl players you know you'll sweat off several pounds of your weight in just a normal 60 minute game when you keep going overtime after overtime it just gets worse and all of a sudden you need to refuel again yeah you've also got the decisions that the coach can make too because generally the ice time gets very skewed um with their star players normally in a, in a regulation game in a 60 minute game your star players you're probably playing 20 minutes for a forward, 25, 26, you know, um, minutes for a defenseman. But all of a sudden, as you go through the overtimes, you're hitting 30 minutes, you're hitting 40 minutes of ice time. And you're also having other players, maybe the fourth liners on teams that don't trust their fourth line as much as the Kraken can, um, you know, that are playing have only played five or six minutes all game and you're in a second or third overtime. And as a coach, do you, do you send them in? I mean, they might've not played in a period and a half, but at a certain point, do you try and give your stars a breather? There's all this, all these decisions to be made by the coaching staff. And that's another thing I love about overtime is sometimes the unsung heroes, you'll get one yeah. shift in an overtime period, but because you have fresh legs, because you haven't played since the mid-second period, all of a sudden you're faster than these guys and somebody makes a mistake and you're able to go around them and score. I mean, you get the most unlikely heroes that way too. I think of the most memorable hockey game I've ever been to, uh, Sharks Vegas game seven, and you're looking at late in the first overtime, you get Barkley Goodrow, who hadn't had a shift since the end of the third period and it's late in overtime. They give him one shift and he goes out there and gets behind the D and scores the winner. Uh, you never know what you're going to see. Yeah, it's it's the fresh legs. It's the fresh brain. It's all of it, right? Like you, those are the guys that tend not to then make the mistakes when they go out there late in those games. And yeah, you talk about the, the trying to get calories in your body, the cramping. You'll see guys start oh. cramping up on a bench, especially if they don't get the regular shifts and stuff. Like the bio still will be flowing. Um, that is definitely going to be a thing. You'll also hear about for some of the really long ones, you know, IVs maybe being have to be pulled out during the intermissions just because they need to get fluids into these guys because they are burning off way more than they can intake. There's certainly intake without just like getting sick and feeling bloated and all that stuff. It gets so complicated and it's it's just it's fun. Bottom line is it's fun. It looks miserable for them, but it's fun for us. And hockey's entertainment. That's what it's here for. So I, I guess it pays off. Um, but it is stressful on us, the fans. Uh, it is very, very stressful. So I do want to close out talking about that. And the big thing is I want everybody, my best like way of talking about this, because I could tell you, you need to have things like a bottle of Tums nearby maybe, or you need to have like breathing exercises or, you know, talk to, talk to whoever about stuff. But I think the big thing is something that I mentioned earlier and that's communication. Okay. 
I want you to, to be aware of, of how you watch games and how you act when games get stressful, right? Like even use these, use this next week as practice for this. Just, just use it to look within and, and see what you're doing during the stressful moments because you need to communicate to those around you, whether they're watching the game or especially for those who don't really care about hockey, how you're going to behave <laughs> and what they kind of want you to do just so you can kind of get set up here because there is going to be yelling there is going to be screaming at the TV. Cuss words will be flowing. So if you got young ones around, you need to prepare them for that. I'm not saying hold your tongue because it's going to be impossible at times. It just is. Uh, so I think that the big, the biggest thing is understand how you watch sports as a fan and understand how you behave in those stressful moments so that you can best be prepared. You know, if you're someone who you know, whatever it is, you lash out or whatever, right? Like there's, there's, there's something on the coffee table, you pick it up and you squeeze it really hard, right? Maybe make sure it's not something that's glass. <laughs> so uh, yep. just, you got to be prepared for all that kind of stuff uh, and, and prepare those around you. Like I said, especially the ones not watching the game that uh, you're going to be really into something and you're, you're not going to necessarily want to be pulled out of it. And, and there's going to be shouting and there's going to be a range of emotions that you're going to show off. And at the end of the night, you're either going to be really happy or you're going to be really sad. And I just think it's best to prepare everyone around you for that and to best uh, take stock of yourself and how you, you deal with those situations so you can also make sure that you manage yourself and be as healthy with it as possible. But uh, otherwise, you know, breathe in through the nose, out through the mouth, hold your breath for three seconds, you know, through each one in. And out. It's the best way to kind of try to control your heart rate, control the anxiety, control the stress, all that good stuff. And then just, you know, in, enjoy it and know that it's going to be stressful in the moments. But then as, as you, you know, take an hour and a half to go to sleep after all the stress because you're coming down off of it, you're going to think about what an amazing time you had. Yeah, that is great advice, Dylan. Thank you for, for giving that there for everyone. If I can add one more thing, because I'm just thinking of all the memories of stressful playoff games that I have watched and seen. Um, if, if you're watching at home, this is, might not be for everyone, but it's just something that always helped me along. Um, if you're watching at home, every intermission just just take like a, a 10 minute walk of course make sure you're back by the time the yes. period starts but you know you've got the 20 minutes you know make sure it's even just around the house or out, out to the you know the sidewalk yep. just quick lap around the street something just take a little 10 minute walk this goes double in overtime make sure you, you stand up yes. you, you move the body around a little bit it helps a lot uh it helps you kind of process the last 20 minutes that happened uh but anyway that's my advice no, for everyone if you're watching along at home it's very true a lot of energy gets built up as you're sitting there tense you're going to realize once it goes to commercial break that you've had your stomach muscles clenched for the last like 10-15 minutes and you didn't even realize it all that stuff you do build up a lot of nervous energy so yes finding those healthy outlets for it like getting up and walking very very important glad you brought that up rj uh but yeah i mean it's we, we still got a week rj like, I know we're looking ahead, we're doing all this stuff, but there's still I'm actually now, a week. Dylan. I know, but there's still a week of hockey left, including later tonight here for us here on Saturday against Chicago. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hope everybody enjoyed this podcast a lot. Let us know your thoughts on the playoffs. If you've been through it before, if you're nervous, if, you, if you've if you got tips for any newbies to, to the NHL playoffs, love to hear it. I think that's been one of the greatest parts about this community here is has been all the experienced uh, hockey fans talking with the newer hockey fans, giving them all the tips and stuff and and just even like i said sharing sharing things amongst the experienced fans amongst the new fans, all of that the the exchanging of ideas and the communication rj 
finish off with communication. It's all been fantastic. Love each and every one of you. Thanks so much for joining us on this one. Thanks to Queen Anne Beer Hall for sponsoring the podcast. And we will see you all next time. Hey everyone, before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons, Absurdly Sane, Alex, Andrew, Anonymous, Ben, Burnt Krem, Kaylin, Chris, Connor, Coop, Daryl, DJ, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Evan, Habak, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Jay, Jane, Jeremy, Jessica, Joni, Joshua, Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Light, Lonnie, Mark, Maya, Michelle, Noah, Nori, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rebecca, Sarah, Scott, Sean, Sergey, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steven, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Wendy, Strife, and Zaid. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support. <laughs>